0: Hi, I'm Michael. I'm a podcaster, entrepreneur, investor, improv artist, and about to be a terrible stand-up comedian. But I'm, I'm, or, or, I'm not but, but I am also a uh, very neurotic person. Very, very neurotic. But I'm also a TV host and your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It is a Dweebs Global production. That's why we do this podcast. It is for dweebsglobal.org. They provide free mentorship around the world. It's completely confidential, completely free. Anything from resume writing to mental health. Completely free, dweebsglobal.org. So I'm here today with Dr. Susan Goldfein. Susan's first scene. Well, fine, if oh, I. Can. Oh, I'm sorry. I should. That's be, okay, I should be,
1: everybody judge it.
0: <laughs> I should be able to say that too, being a Cohen. Like I should, I should. Know that. <laughs> Susan Goldfein. Susan's first scene is a speech pathologist. She earned a doctorate, researched Alzheimer's disease, was an adjunct professor for eight years at Teachers College, uh, Columbia University, and was a consultant to the New York City Alzheimer's Association. She is also an award-winning comedy writer, comedic writer, I guess I should say. Her two books, one being How Old Am I in Dog Years and the other being And How to Complain When There's Nothing to Complain About. Love that title. (laughs) So what what connected those two scenes for you? How did you go from one of those scenes to the other?
1: I'd like to say it was part of a grandmaster plan, but it wasn't. It was a... uh, a complete accident, uh, it really was. It, was. it was, circumstances led me there. Um, I had been, as I said, working for the New York City Alzheimer's Association as a consultant, and uh, I should say, I owe my transition to Bernie Madoff, may he rest in peace, um, that, um, you know, the New York City Alzheimer's Association, like so many other charities, depends on contributions. Right. And in a well-endowed place like Manhattan, you know, they were doing very well and were able to afford to hire consultants. I was one of them. But after Madoff happened, a lot of the funding dried up because people clearly were not as wealthy as they thought they were. And they had to start cutting back. And I was one of the casualties of that. Um, that, was, that was one circumstance. I was suddenly without uh, occupation. And having worked my, practically my entire adult life, I was uh, bereft. <laughs> I didn't quite know what to do with myself. Mm-hmm. The The other part of it was um, we had relocated to Florida and I was just trying to get used to that. Not very happily, I might add. It was my <laughs> husband's idea. I did it for him. If he needed proof of my love, that was it. <laughs> and um so I suck at golf. I don't like playing cards and or mahjong.
0: That's that's what and, Florida is. Most of my parents live there and that's exactly yeah, what they do. Yeah, they golf, yeah. I mean, like, you know,
1: I, I play golf, but not good enough to really take it on as, you know, uh, enthusiastically. Mm-hmm. So I was really looking for something to do, uh, something to spend my time that would, you know, keep me interested and stimulated and whatever. And I started getting catalogs from local organizations with different courses and classes. And there's a a place in Florida called the Kravis Center. It's located in West Palm Beach. And it's like the South Florida equivalent of Lincoln Center Mm -hmm. on a slightly smaller scale. Anyway, long story short, I found a writing class and I decided to do it because I had always been a fairly decent writer although I hadn't written creatively probably since junior high school. And uh, I said, well, you know, maybe I could do this. And so I enrolled in the class started going and the uh, person that ran the class, the instructor, she used to give these assignments. Uh, she would provide a prompt and we would have to write several pages based on what we, how we interpreted the prompt. And I started creating these humorous essays out of what I saw in the prompt. And um, she became very encouraging to me. She said, I think you found your voice and maybe this is something you should consider doing. So that was all I needed. <laughs> and that's how I that's how I got started writing, you know, hum- humorous essays. And you. That, that was it. It was purely serendipitous. It was nothing
0: you that you ever... I could
1: have foreseen in my life.
0: <laughs> Did you ever do comedy before? Was that ever something? You no, know,
1: I, I have always been intrigued by comedy and uh particularly comedy writing. And um I knew I had the ability to make people laugh. And mm-hmm. in fact, I used it a lot in the work I did. It was a great icebreaker. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're dealing with serious illness, mm-hmm. um you want to kind of lighten it up a little bit, you know, right. to engage people. When, when I was actively doing clinical speech therapy, I was working with people who had strokes. I was working with people who had Parkinson's and, you know, all of these rather sad progressive type things and, you know, to get them to feel comfortable with me and to engage in what I was trying to help them with, um, I used to try to make them smile or laugh, you know, a little bit. And, and same thing with family members, you know, right. family members are very disturbed and distraught by what's going on and, you know, just try to lighten it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I used that ability. I applied it there. Um, but comedy writing always intrigued me. I mean, I knew I could be funny, but funny in the moment. You know, mm-hmm. but when you have to like I think of the writers on Saturday Night Live, and you, you have to sit down and come up with things out of thin air. You know, that are going to fill up, you know, uh, an entire hour and a half. And that whole process was fascinating to me. You know, I, I just didn't know how that worked. So one summer um, I took a, a, a class at the New School in Manhattan on comedy writing and performing. And that was my one okay. interaction with the process. We had to write our own material. And then we had the opportunity to actually appear in a comedy club and oh, wow. stand up and perform for seven minutes. It was the most scary thing I had ever done in my life.
0: Hey, yeah. How did you do? How was that?
1: <laughs> I, I think I did well. Um, we were videoed and I saw the video. People were actually laughing. Um, and that was the whole goal. So I guess I did yeah. okay. <laughs> While I was going through it, I was too scared to be aware of very much. But having had the opportunity to view it afterwards, I say, hey, I was actually kind of funny.
0: So, oh, nice. And you didn't even yeah, have an so, urge to go do more of it?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, but I, I had no desire to do it again. Right, I mean, right, right. it was like a, you know, a one-night stand-up, I called it. That was then I was done. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: So how was the, how, so what was the, did you know you were sitting down to write a book when you first written it? Was that, were you entering a no, process?
1: No, uh, that's another thing I, I didn't anticipate doing, but um, I had, after I'd been, you know, I have a website and that's what I did to create a place for me to publish my essays. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I write new essays twice a month. Uh, I started doing that about eight or nine years ago, maybe even more. I've sort of lost track of time. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I've and i acquired a, a, a relatively strong and loyal readership. And one of my friends said to me at one point early on in the process, he said, you know, you really ought to put these in a book, you know. Um, and I poo-pooed the idea at first, but then I sat with it a little longer and I thought, hey, why not? You know, uh, so I chose some of my favorites and, uh, and published my first book, okay. which was How Old Am I in Dog Years?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so what is so, the premise? What is the premise of the essays? Or is there a, a theme?
1: Yeah, kind of. When I started out, I, my aspiration was to be a combination of Nora Ephron, not that I don't aim too high, um, Irma Bombeck. mm mm-hmm with a little bit of Andy Rooney thrown into the mix. It was sort of like I was their love child. If they had had a menage a trois, then there, there would be me. I loved the way Andy Rooney used to complain on six, at the end of 60 Minutes every week. You know, he'd find this trivial little piece of nonsense and manage to complain about it for a minute and, and be very funny at it. And it was just life, it, you know, it was just like standing in a grocery line and, and what was irritating him or parking his car and what was irritating him. Um, and everything he said was true when you really think about it in you know, a certain perspective. And Nora Ephron, I've always regarded as a comic genius and, and um, her collection of, of essays that she put in a book had to do with mostly with women and the aging process which was a theme that was near and dear to my heart. And uh, then of course Irma Bombeck wrote about family life in in a hilarious way. So that was where I took my inspiration from and that's kind of what evolved it's either I'm complaining about something already Andy Rooney um, you know writing about another indignity of the aging process as you know being an older woman. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, writing about my husband, a la Irma Bombeck. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it, it, the, the ideas can come from anywhere at all. I, the last essay I wrote was about the fact that Apple, I have an iPhone and I have an iPad, and Apple every week sends me um, a little paragraph that tells me about my screen time, how, how many hours or how many minutes I spent online, or you know, was it better or worse than the week before, but actually not better or worse, was it more or less than the week before, certain percentages. And after a while, I was getting these things, I think, what does this all mean? I mean, what are they trying to tell me here? Why are they doing this? And it seems so silly to me. I mean, if I have less screen time, is that good or bad? right no i mean does it mean i had something better to do than stare at my facebook account you know uh, if i had more you know if i had more screen time is that good or bad mm-hmm. you know is, and is there some criteria i was supposed to be meeting i mean it was totally baffling to me and it was kind of funny and stupid oh. <laughs> so i wrote about it and, i get it
0: you know, i totally get it. Where, <laughs> that's
1: where it comes from
0: that's funny and i i was reading some reviews of your books which people love and um, I, I, I can't read menus. This happened the last like three months. All of a sudden, I, my eyes—I cannot read menus. I go to a restaurant and, <laughs> and. Have you
1: considered, reading glasses?
0: I just to carry them around. I've. Uh, That's, what,
1: I, these yeah, That's I, what these are.
0: Yeah. I need to start. I've scattered them around my house, but they never—they never enter my pocket when I'm at, when I'm leaving the house. So, I end up taking my phone, turning on the light
1: yeah I actually I have a pair in every room in the house yeah a pair in my handbag I need a pair you know they you get them at the drugstore they're inexpensive
0: so right you know,
1: <laughs> I have them all over the place uh somebody somebody wants work with refer to the reading glasses as your birth certificate it's like if you wear them then people know approximately how old you are
0: so. yes they do yeah <laughs> So, so when did you when did you stop um, working as a consultant for the Alzheimer's Association and turn it and and go with your uh, other passion?
1: About fifteen years ago, I think no. it's been that long. Yeah, it's unbelievable to me that it's been that long, but I believe it has.
0: Is there anything or- anything that people wouldn't know about or expect to know about people with Alzheimer's disease that that you can share? Or-
1: he, well, yeah, it's my anecdotal impressions, not based on science, but just based on my exposure. Mm-hmm. I worked a lot in, um, when I was a clinician, I worked a lot in nursing homes. So I, I got to interact with people in the later stages and when I worked at the Alzheimer's Association, I got a chance to interact with people in the very early stages. And um, so my impression is this, um, people recently diagnosed, people who are just in the beginning stages are completely 100% aware of what is going on with them. And uh, they know what their future is. You know, I, what we started, you know, we didn't start it at the chapter, but one of the programs that we offered were there had always been support groups for family members sponsored by the Alzheimer's Association. That's one of the services that were offered offered nationwide, were family support groups for people dealing with a loved one who, who had Alzheimer's. But it was recognized that people in the early stages needed support as well that it wasn't just the family members, but it was the actual victims of the disease who needed support because it was very clear that they knew what was going on. They knew that they were losing it in certain areas. They knew what their future was going to be. um, And it was not happy. So um, the early stage support groups were, uh, were invented as it were and, I just want to say, so I, I had that comparison with the later stage comparison. And people think that later on, people don't realize when they're really, when they've really lost it, when they, you know, they can't remember very much and they don't recognize family members. People are under the impression that they're not aware that they have this condition. I want to refute that in, in my impression, in my experience, they are aware, they are definitely aware. There are these lucid moments where, and they're fleeting, I will admit, but people are very sad and very scared, you know, and, and they, and every once in a while, you'll hear an utterance like, what's wrong with me? And it's not, a wonderful oblivious state, like people think it is. I don't believe that that's the case, and and I just want acknowledge it and comfort them that that they are that they are going through this. And I, and I think on some level there's an awareness of what they're going through. Wow. So that that's that's what I would say.
0: I I couldn't imagine uh, that, that's got to be such a hard profession to be in or to. To do i'm guessing it was also feel good because you got to help a lot of families out and you got to to be there for a lot of people that
1: yeah yeah i you know it's people wonder you know how can you do this it's so sad Mm -hmm. i don't know how i can do it but i can so i did you know and hopefully did it well that's all i can say
0: got you did you see a progression in the treatment of alzheimer's over the years
1: I saw the, the treatment, yes, not medical treatment, but uh, social treatment. I saw changes in nursing homes, and uh, changes in programming, changes in um, the way one approached, you know, the the whole idea of the illness. It became much more what they call person-centered care and it was like trying to be more individualistic and acknowledging the person who they who they were who they still are in certain part you know um they had a life before this they were full people they had jobs they had you know uh, careers they they had relationships you know and trying to build an approach to care based on familiar, um, you know, let's just say, I don't know if a, a, a person made hats for a living, for example, I mean, just something silly like that, that when you try to, you know, create an activity or an engagement for them, you know, maybe you wanna bring that up, you know, maybe you wanna look at pictures of hats or, you know, anything that's gonna trigger a connection to who they are, right. not just someone with Alzheimer's disease, but there's a person. And it, that was the change I saw. It was more an approach to care. Medically, uh, although I, I'm not on top of it anymore like I used to be, I don't think there's too much brand new in terms of intervention medically, You know, in terms of pills or treatment or even understanding you know, how it starts and how to stop it.
0: Right. I feel like I'm Um, always hearing about breakthroughs and then don't amount to as much as they were hoping.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's very, you're dealing with the brain and it's incredibly complicated.
0: I have read a lot about diet and how diet they've shown, they've shown um, like almost like a paleo diet or sugar-free diet can extend sometimes. Yeah. I,
1: you know, there's, there's a, a hereditary factor in some cases, right? But like, there's a hereditary factor with a lot of diseases. But you know, you can try to mitigate that with lifestyle, right? So you know, like anything and anything that you think that can help, the, as long as it doesn't hurt you, try it. As long as it's not a huge waste of money,
0: you know, <laughs> it's like some, right? You know, some right. crazy
1: thing. You know. well, I
0: could see why you got into comedy after. After having that career for so long, I think you needed, can you? you needed a you needed a laugh and a smile and and uh, at the end of the at the end of the tunnel at the end of the road. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am definitely gonna get your books. I know people can find you at SusanunfilteredWit.com.
1: Yes, and that's free. You can get onto my website, read my blogs. I would love to have everybody. Uh that's free. The books, on the other hand, are not free.
0: So. But they are inexpensive. I did see that, especially if you they the are They're order.
1: paperback and they're also available um, in Kindle. Right. And they're at Amazon and there are Barnes and Noble online and whatever other online booksellers there are. And some of the Barnes and Noble stores actually have my first book um, on the shelf. So they're there too.
0: Okay. Well, I will, de- we will have the link underneath the podcast, and underneath the videos. Great. And thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: My, really pleasure. Appreciate it. My pleasure. My as pleasure as well.
0: So, yeah. and again, everyone out there, this has been a Dweebs Global production. A dweebsglobal.org. They supply free mentorship help for people around the world, completely confidential, completely free. Anything from resume writing to mental health. So thanks. We'll see you next week.